You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the internet radio show not to embarrass the future of Redhead with a bowl cut as its main topic. Welcome to episode 5 of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 to cover date November 2004. Along the way, we're going to be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, and once we get to issue 50, we'll start putting a more of an emphasis on the Kyle Rayner character of Green Lantern. I don't have too much in the uh, way of preamble this time. Uh, at the time of the recording of this podcast, it is Monday, uh, February 6th, so the Super Bowl just happened. So any of you guys who watched that uh, sporting event got the opportunity to see a grandmotherly Madonna get thrown around by Trojans, which I think is in a way kind of ironic, but not in the way Alanis Morissette would define ironic. Um course me not being a football fan I really could have cared about the game but I did catch some of the advertisements they had some of them were amusing the Doritos ad with the dog and of course the little Star Wars thing with the dogs and you know that was nice but the uh, one there were a couple of movie trailers that just kind of were either awesome in their wonderfulness or awesome in their horribleness uh, the prior being the Avengers teaser, which you finally got a shot of the entire Avengers group. And uh, it looks like they've updated the Hulk CGI as well, so he looks really cool. It uh, looks like it should be a fun movie, even from the 30 seconds that they previewed there. And uh, they also did a preview for the Battleship movie. And despite the fact that Liam Neeson is starring in the movie... This movie looks to make the Transformers movies look like Citizen Kane. Uh, the summer blockbusters just really aren't shaping up to be anything this year. But this is not a podcast about current events or about pop culture or about the Avengers for that matter. This is a Green Lantern podcast and we're going to get to the Green Lantern comic book issue number five cover dated of October 1990 with the title of, well, with the front cover title of Return to Oa. Let's play a couple of promos and then we'll get right to the review. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand.
for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? We violate the treaty, Captain. Red alert! All hands, battle station! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle station. No! Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey kids, comics! Hey Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium? Watch our podcast. 
but you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com The Hulk on Podcasts. Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash. The Hulk on Peter David. Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. Hulk write down. Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era. Filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pad Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. And we're back. I hope you're enjoying the podcast promos. I suggest you all go download some of these shows. And despite the fact that anal leakage may occur from listening to some of the shows, I would still want to tell you guys to give them a listen. But let's go ahead and get started with our review of Green Lantern number 5. As aforementioned, the comic is Green Lantern number 5. Its cover date was October 1990. The title was Back again, the writer was Gerard Jones, the penciler was Pat Broderick, inker was Bruce Patterson, the letter was Albert de Guzman, colorist was Anthony Tolan, assistant editor was Kevin Dooley, editor was Andy Helfer. Space. The Final Frontier. This is not the voyage of the Starship Enterprise. This is where Green Lantern Hal Jordan is streaking through, not streaking as in naked, but that's for later in the issue, filling in the readers on the backstory. It seems entire cities on planet Earth have been disappearing, and the one thing they have in common is that they were once visited by Hal and a guardian known as the Old Timer. 
Hal worries as if he is in some way to blame for the missing cities, especially the one containing Rose, the hot widow mom Hal had hoped to make the beast with two backs with. Hal is glad that fate has called him back into action, and that he now feels in control of his own fate. But that feeling is short-lived, because as Hal reaches Oa, he is thrown from the loop as the voice of the old-timer rings out in his head. We cut to Hal, waking from a deep sleep, to see Rose and her son Toby enter their farmhouse. Rose accuses Hal of causing this situation, but before Hal can plead his case, we hear the shouts of FISH HEADS from outside. It seems that a couple of angry redneck farmers have discovered a pair of Sudarians, and are convinced that they are to blame for them being here. Hal saved the Zudarians from being pitchforked and, with his ring translating for him, asked where they came from. They inform Hal that they walked. Looking up, Hal sees the majestic spires of a Zudarian cityscape off in the distance. Rose and the farmers still believe that the Zudarians were the cause of their troubles, but they say that a humanoid, bright green and as big as the sky, was the one who brought them there. As Hal wonders how he's going to deal with a guardian gone insane, Rose starts to have a breakdown of her own, worrying about the loan on her farm. Hal reassures her that, even though he's just a man, he will do everything he can to make things right. That, and he's pretty sure that no one can repossess the farm from another space sector. Hal flies off to see what they're up against, and Rose tries to make the best of the situation by offering the neighboring aliens something to eat. Hal flies across Oa and witnesses a myriad of places and beings now making the planet their home, many of them alien even to Hal. As Hal approaches where the central battery once stood, he finds a trapped John Stewart being held by a resting old-timer. Hal tries to get John to mentally fight the Guardian, but it is of no use as the old-timer wakes and attempts to take control of Hal's mind as well. Shaking it off, Hal searches for a transplanted ally, only run into an orange rock monster that can shoot fireballs from a cannon-like opening above his head. The ring tries to translate Hal's request for assistance, but to no avail. Fighty McFightenstein, trademark Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, ensues until the rock monsters bring down Hal due to the yellow element of their fireballs. Hal pleads with the beings one last time before the old-timer walks up to him. He informs Hal that the beings only hope for survival is for them to serve him, and that Hal's only hope for survival is to submit to his will. We cut to Hal waking from a deep sleep to see Rose and her son Toby in their farmhouse. But, unlike the first time this scene happened, Hal is happy to be there with Rose working on the farm. Hal gets shirtless again, ladies, to begin planting trees. Toby tells Hal that he can sometimes see weird things beyond the hills if he blinks just right. Hal dismisses the boy and says that they need to get farming now that Rose has her loan approved. Later that night, Hal and Rose are staring at the stars. Rose comments that the moon looks so clear, like it was newly made. Something within Hal's ring snaps him back into reality, and we the readers see what Hal sees, a sky filled with a number of moons of varying sizes. Waiting until he's sure that the old-timer isn't monitoring his thoughts, Hal beams a message for Guy Gardner through his ring. Guy, busy watching big-breasted women with low-cut tops on Wheel of Fortune, receives the transmission about the old-timer's insanity and questions how he can take on a guardian of the universe. 
Hal assures him that he has a plan, just as his transmission construct fades from Guy's ring. Not liking the outer space stuff, Guy questions whether he should help him out or not. But, admitting that what Hal did was pretty slick, he heads off towards Oa, as a resting Hal Jordan thinks to himself that since he told Guy there was a way to defeat the old-timer, he might want to come up with a plan. Wow, we can see here that the story is really starting to pick up. Uh, things are falling into place. The lanterns are all getting called to Oa. Jones and company are setting up something really epic for the series ongoing. And it's just been really fun for me reconnecting with this comic. I hope I'm transferring some of that fun over to you, and you're getting some fun out of listening to this. Let's go ahead and get to the notes. Uh, first note about the cover. Now, I don't know if this is just my cover or it's uh, part of all the covers, but the right-hand side of it seems to be cut off a little. The uh, title that I said at the beginning, The Return to Oa, on the cover is kind of cut off. may just be, you know, the comic I got, but, you know, there you have it. Also, really great shot of Hal streaking through the uh, universe, sort of through... Uh, Empire Strikes Back type asteroid field with some weird uh, pink explosions going on. Really nice dynamic cover, but uh, the perspective's a bit off. I mean, Hal looks like uh, his feet have been, you know, sucked in through a black hole or a singularity. I mean, he's got tiny feet. Tiny, tiny, tiny little feet. But minor nitpick, not a big problem. Page 2, as Hal is flying towards Oa, he gets cosmically wanged in the head. Which, if you're a frequent reader of the website uh, Green Lantern Butts Forever, uh, you'll notice that the uh, author of that website, Sally P., loves shots of Hal getting wanged in the head. It seems to be a commonplace in the comics. Page 3, panel 9. I'm hoping I'm not the only one when I saw this uh, panel that thought of the Barnes & Barnes song Fish Heads. I'm going to include it in the soundtrack here so you guys get a taste of what the song was like. But just to give you a little info on it, it was a song that was created in, oh, the, from memory, the early 1980s by this duo called Barnes & Barnes. One of the members of the duo was Billy Moomy, who some of you might remember from the Lost in Space show. He was Will Robinson. Or some of you listeners who grew up in the 1990s might remember him from the show Babylon 5 as the character Lanier. Another interesting fact about the song is the video for the song was directed by Bill Paxton. Yes, that Bill Paxton. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. The whiny guy from the Aliens movie. But, you know, Bill Paxton has also gone on to direct some movies of his own, and, you know, he says that in interviews that he's pretty proud of the Fish Heads video. So, take that for what you will. Page 4, panel 3. This is kind of odd. Hal deflects the pitchforks by putting a hay bale in front of the guys who are about to pitchfork the Zudarians. Now, I'm wondering, you know, how that would work, as hay usually has a nice yellow tinge to it. But this one seemed to be colored a bit more brown, so maybe it's a bit dried up. Same page, panels 5 and 6. I like the fact that the ring is translating the words from Zudarian to Hal. Uh, you don't really get that in too many comics. You just get, you know, everyone seems to be speaking, you know, what would be considered a galactic standard. And it's nice to see that 
there are alien languages out there and that the ring can translate them. It's a nice little scene there. Page 5, panel 1. Everyone finally gets to see the shot of the Zidorian city in the background. Uh, initially, the Guardian had been cloaking that from the people's minds so they wouldn't witness it and freak out, but now that the aliens have gotten over there, everyone can see it, and it's it's just awesome to see the little farmhouse sort of you know, in the foreground of this giant spired alien city in the background. Page 7, panel 3. The Zidorians look a little bit wonky compared to their modern versions, but I like them because they look kind of like the original Gil Kane versions that you see of Tomar Ray in that. Speaking of that, uh, we also get the unmentioned introduction here of the Lantern Tomar 2. Now, you don't get his name yet, but it'll come up in a couple of issues or so. Page 8, panel 2, we see Hal flying through some of the cityscapes on uh, Oa that the Guardian has transplanted there. One of them is this sort of gaseous alien cityscape where this sort of jellyfish-looking alien, kind of think the alien from Encounter at Farpoint, uh, the first episode of Star Trek Next Generation, is floating along. and It's also kind of weird that while flying along, Hal seems to feel the need to put a giant bubble helmet on, you know, sort of Adam Strange-type space helmet on. I thought his shield protected him from different environments, but, oh, whatever. Page 9, we get a nice kind of horror movie vibe with this, with John being sort of trapped in this green glowing ring construct being held there by the Mad Guardian, and as it pans in closer and closer to John's face, you see Hal's image in John's eye. It's really kind of a creepy page panel set up. I, I really like the tone uh, that the comic is setting up for it. Page 11, we get an incredibly cool monster design. This thing looks something out of the old Barbel Tales to Astonish, or some of those Kirby-esque type monsters that they used to print. It's a big orange rock type monster that gives you kind of the impression of the thing, but it's got these sort of elephant-like feet with uh, where the toes are. It's got more claw-like. The same for the hands. But the really unique thing about it is on top of its head, it has this tube-like protrusion which shoots fireballs out of it. Now, that would be really cool, except the part of me that has taken a lot of science and has taken a lot of human anatomy and comparative anatomy kind of gets to thinking about the design of this monster. You see, most humanoids have a digestive system, and I'm going to take this monster as being somewhat humanoid. They ingest things through one opening and release things through another. And I know that you really can't show those type of quote-unquote release organs on a family-friendly comic, but we see the mouth of the monster, and we see this release thing of the monster, and it's shooting out fireballs. So I have a fear that this monster basically eats rock or lava and shoots out or poops out flaming fireballs. So keep that in mind whenever you're reading this comic and just let that sink in for a while. Page 12, panel 3. In order to try and escape the monster, Hell. Uh, creates a giant ring construct shovel to try and dig up underneath the monster. 
And then on page 13, panel 1, he unfortunately finds that, whoops, the monster's a subterranean. And again on page 13, panel 3, we see that they're poop fireballs, or fire poop balls, have enough yellow in them to uh, pretty much eat right through his shield. Page 16, we get a nice either Groundhog Day or Matrix look. It's really it's really good artwork. Uh, Broderick uh, copies pretty much the same panel-for-panel panel shots that he did on page 3, with pretty much the same wording that he done on page 3, except this time around, the Guardian has gotten to Hal's mind, and Hal believes that, oh, well, I should be here with Rose, and this is the way my life should be. Page 17, we get shirtless Hal again. Little something for the ladies. Oh, yeah. So, drink in the goodness of Hal Jordan and his shirtlessness. Hot. Page 18, get a nice shot of Hal and Rose just looking at the stars and just taking in the night sky until Hal suddenly realizes that things aren't as they seem. And it's really a, it's really a cool reveal. I mean, Hal is looking up with Rose at the moon and suddenly his the ring affects him and he realizes that you know something's different, but you don't see what's going on. And he says to Rose, you know, everything's fine. And then one panel, he's looking up the sky and you see this vast starscape of different moons of different sizes and you see what Hal is seeing. It's really a neat kind of contrast to see how Hal has awoken from the dream that the old-timer has put the rest of the denizens of the planet into. Page 19, panel 6, just another nitpick, but the artist has seemed forgotten that Guy's eyebrows should be as orange or red as his hair. They're black again. Just minor nitpick, but there it is. Page 21, it's nice to know that even though Guy would like to take Hal down a notch or two, and he wishes he could let people know Hal asked for his help, that Guy decides to do the right thing, even though that he gripes a lot about it. Well, there are my notes for the show. Let's go ahead and check out some of the fantastic ads that they decided to put in this comic book. Uh, There doesn't seem to be too much new. On the uh, front cover, we get the one for Demon Sword, which looks like a, uh, like I said last time, is a Castlevania ripoff. Ooh, but this is cool. Uh, About three pages in, we are treated to a red page with with a white circle in the middle, a yellow lightning bolt through it saying, Justice has never been faster or more furious. The Flash speeding to CBS Thursday nights this fall. And this is an ad obviously for the Flash TV series that ran on CBS during the early 1990s. This was a great show. Unfortunately probably because of monetary reasons and budgetary reasons at the time, it couldn't really do everything it wanted to do. But the show was really fun, especially when it got to some episodes with, like, the trickster with Mark Hamill playing it. It was great. Fun show. I really enjoyed the shows that I watched of it. and I think it was one of the better live-action comic book series that TV has produced. Plus, as the ad states, it gave us the idea of being faster and furious before Vin Diesel and Paul Walker ever did. We get an ad for a video game by Capcom, Codename Viper, which uh, states at the top, Codename Viper, you're the drug lord's worst nightmare. Looks like a Bionic 6 type ripoff, so 
there you go with that. More nerdy stuff for the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons players, especially those who like the Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman Dragonlance Chronicles. You get to play Raceland's game of Mage Stones. And since, even though I loved the books by Weiss and Hickman, I never picked up this game, so I couldn't tell you good or bad or whatever with it. Of course, we get another ad for Fleer football cards with uh, Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders and Michael Irvin on there. A few famous names in football, but being, as I said at the beginning of the show, not a football fan, I could care less about this ad. We get an ad for Take the Sky by Force, Force One models, and I can't really tell if these are supposed to be just models or if they're actually the ones that you launch up in the sky and put frogs inside and watch them explode. Oh, wait, no, I never did that. Sorry, PETA people. Huh. And again, we get the really horrible-looking ad for Phantom Fighter, which, of course, has over 100 ghosts, dialogue, and password memory as its selling points. If these were the things we had to get kids to buy video games back in the days, obviously kids playing video games were desperate for anything. And we couldn't let the NFL be the only sports-related franchise to be in a comic book. We had to have an advertisement for the MPB baseball game. Now, this doesn't look like a card game, but a weird sort of trading game. I don't get it. I don't get baseball. I don't get sports. I'm, I'm a nerd. I like me some comics. And on the back cover, we get, They Stole Your Mind. Now Get It Back. Total Recall, based on the Arnold Schwarzenegger film of the same name. And if you haven't seen this film, I'll just give you a little information about it. It's a Paul Verhoeven film, so it is incredibly violent. And the scene we've got here is Arnold being sucked out into the vacuum of Mars and holding onto a wire, and you've got Arnold giving his, for lack of a better word, O-face. And from what I remember this game, it was truly, truly awful. It was a side-scroller that was hard to play and not really all that fun. And back cover, we've got an ad, and it looks like, oh, oh, neat. They've decided to make a fold-in for the Lucky Charms game. So, I am going to take my comic right now and fold slot A over the button. No, I'm not. That's stupid. Why, why, Mad Magazine, would you con children into doing that and destroying their comic books? Obviously, you hate fun. But now it is time. Yes, sadly it is time for the final chapter of the Capri Sun 100% Natural Adventure, Part 6, the final episode. And we see the kids tooling back to the big boat in their little rubber raft with the motor on it saying, Has anyone seen Harry Harry since we crossed the swamp? And Dora says, Not me. I missed the little guy. And Paul says, I wonder if Dr. Stanley misses us. And cut to the next panel, and we see Dr. Stanley in there going, Hmm, is it supper time already? And then Neil says, Does that answer your question? As they bring him the ferns that that he's looking for. And the next panel, Dora exclaims, Yes, Dr. Stanley, and look at the salad I've made for you. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Of course, Dr. Stanley in the next panel goes, Furnace Maximus, the specimens I've been looking for, and it was right here in the salad the whole time. Uh, for a scientist, this doctor's an idiot. <laughs> 
next panel we go see actually gang I and he calls them gang I already have enough for my experiment this friendly ape brought me a batch of it earlier today and of course we get Harry Harry who was smart enough to bring the doc the good doctor a batch of the ferns that he was looking for and Dora exclaims to Neil what can be worse than going through what we did to get those specimens and Neil exclaims having a good friend and good friend is in quotations like Harry Harry take all the credit next panel we got Harry Harry hanging off the Colonel Sanders like doctor and the doctor saying and not only that but the fellow also brought some this delicious and 100% natural Capri Sun Safari Punch Neil and the kids hold up the Safari Punch to the viewers and Dora says and when you're thirsty what can be better than that? And the final panel says, Contend your own adventure by gathering up Capri Sun Safari Punch at a store near you. Whew. Wow, those were some goofy comics. But that was an adventure to rival the ages. I hope you enjoyed my reading of those, and I think I'm going to see if I can find some way that I can post those, or maybe post a link to those on the website. So, That'll give you an incentive to go check out the website, justoneoftheguys.libson.com. Well, that's all of it for this time. I hope if you folks aren't following along in the monthly comic books, as I am, that you go try and hunt this comic series down. Uh, At least the first eight issues are published in these trade paperback, Green Lantern, The Road Back. Go check that out. You can probably find that at Amazon or your local discount comic book store. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next Friday, and have a good week. Bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by yours truly, Sean Engel. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens on the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way making this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguys at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys all one word dot libsyn spelled l-i-b-s-y-n dot com there you can find the rss feed as well as scans of the covers and whatever else i feel like putting up look for me on itunes as well just search for just one of the guys podcast and you can also search for me on facebook i mean you won't find me there because i don't have an account on facebook But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks again for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for this podcast was Cinderella's Coming Home. 
You can download the music from iTunes, or if you're so inclined, go to the Two True Freaks website, click on the Amazon.com banner at the top of the page, and download the song from Amazon, if you'd like to listen to it.